Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Rose Metal Podcast. This is Emily Watson. In this podcast, we talk about the transition out of sports and any struggles athletes may have faced during or after sports. Rose Metal's mission is to provide resources and support to current and former athletes. We're a nonprofit. In this episode with Tori, we talk about identifying with your sport, recovering from a major surgery, and being a survivor. Tori Bly Campbell played softball for most of her life. She struggled with an injury with a surgery, and with that, she also struggled with placing her worth on her sport. She is currently an entrepreneur as an event planner, and she also does strength training. She loves to inspire young athletes in strength training, speed and agility, and softball lessons. She is also newly a Kansas City Royals Urban Youth Academy Youth Development Coach. In this podcast, we will be talking about identifying with your sport, recovering from a major surgery, and being a survivor. So thank you for being on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, so we talked about identifying with your sport. How did you get to the point of placing your worth on your sport? (laughs) Um, My whole life revolved around sports um, for as long as I can remember. And so... When um, you find that you're good at something and you get that recognition for that, you're just like, oh, yeah. And I mean, I love the sport. Like, I love being competitive, but there was a lot of value placed in sports growing up for me. Especially when you start at such a young age, it's like all you know. Yes, it, it literally is. I mean, it's, since I can remember, I've played sports and... My mom always said if I wanted to take, you know, a season off, she didn't want me to get burnt out by college. But if you ask me, even at 33, if I still had the opportunity to be playing sports year round, I 100% would be doing it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So with your injury, how did you get your injury and how did you handle recovery? Um, So the first time I really had to deal with the injury was... Um, my, uh, my freshman year of high school and we didn't know what was wrong. Like I have, I have no idea. We're just assuming over time because I was a very aggressive player and I played positions that I get hit a lot. (laughs) So they were just assuming that it was something to do with that, but we couldn't figure out what it was. And so they told me that the, the next step was surgery. And not just surgery, it was back surgery. And for me, at, you know, 14 years old, I'm like, what? Like, back surgery? Like, I'm freaking out. Uh, Yeah. Not only it wasn't a back surgery, but, like, I was terrified that I was going to lose feeling from my my waist down. Yeah. Like, this was the surgery that they think it was, they thought it was going to help me. Like, they have no idea to this day. I have no idea that I don't think the surgery did anything because <laughs> um, it was a it was a chance like it was a guess like oh they think this is going to help so uh, do you do you regret doing the surgery is what I'm trying to ask um you know I think back then I was I think I was just so I was scared I don't know if I regret it because I mean do I think it did what it needed to do um probably not but do I think that maybe as I got older, that might've been something that also caused me issues? Maybe like, I have no idea because we never really got closure with what was wrong. 
Right. Um, and I was young enough that I bounced back from in. I mean, I had never really been majorly injured before. So I, I think I recovered for two weeks and then I was trying out for basketball. So I wasn't really down a lot. Um, <laughs> it was my second back surgery that, that was more like harder on my body. Like back when I'm 14 years old, I'm like Wolverine, like you cut me open and I'm going to get better in two weeks. <laughs> so. so when was your second surgery then? Actually, my second, my back, second back surgery was June 20th of this year, 2022. Oh, okay. And do you think that like the first surgery might've had to do with it a little bit? Um, that again, I, because I have no idea exactly right. what the purpose of that surgery was. So they literally cut something <laughs> off the end of my spinal cord. Oh um, this second, so yeah. <laughs> and it was about, it's about as thin as the, your pinky nail is what they said, what they cut off. So if so. someone was like, if a 14 year old came up to you and said, Hey, they think that surgery might work for me. Like, what would you say to them? Who, um, because I am in no way, shape, or form a doctor, uh, <laughs> I would just say, just disclaimer, <laughs> I say that to my kids when I do batting practice, too. So I'm like, disclaimer, I'm not a pitcher. <laughs> but I am not, um, I'm not a doctor, but I would definitely say, especially because of all the things available um, now. Because back when I was there, when I was 14, you know, it's like, you have chiropractic and you have surgery. Right. Because physical therapy you do after surgery. That was just kind of like this, you know, the stigma. No, nobody was like, oh, go to physical therapy first. Right. Right. You know, so I would definitely say because at 33, when they started talking about surgery and I was scared because I'm like, I'm older. I don't heal like I used to. Am I even going to be able to walk after this? I don't know. Right. Um, I was trying to exhaust all my options before surgery. So yeah. I would just, that would be my advice. I would always be like, do not jump right into surgery unless they are a hundred percent like you need this or you're, you know, if it's like absolutely necessary, I, right. I would, you know, you'd, you, I mean, if it's what's best for you, that's what you have to do. But there's right. just so many other things that you can try before surgery is the end all. Yeah. So. I feel like back then it was like it was like easy to just be like, Oh, you know, you need surgery, you know, like instead of thinking like, you know what, let's try like acupuncture or something first. Like, yeah. And acupuncture <laughs> freaks me out, but I've heard yeah. things about it, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's better than going under the knife. Well, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of scary to me as somebody that has been through not any super, I mean, the back surgery and the knee surgery was, it was more, I guess, like, and I mean, I wouldn't even say my knee surgery was major. It was a knee scope. But going under, it can be scary. Like, when they have to put you under anesthesia, like... Yeah. You know, you see all the, the medical shows out there. Like, there are things that happen that are not expected. So, I tend to freak myself out a little bit. When it comes yeah. To I mean, I also get a little bit scared because my uh, president at the at the school that I went to... Uh-huh. Passed away from a surgery complication while I was at school. Oh god. I would yeah. I would <laughs> that's PTSD and I didn't even go through it. <laughs> I know. It was I, I didn't even realize that it was that much of a thing until heard that that he passed away when he was perfectly fine. He was just getting a I think it was a hip replacement or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That oh, was that was 
scary thing. You don't, I mean, that's, that would be the scariest thing. Like, yeah. I get it. Sometimes things happen, and the only way to fix it is, is going under the knife. But I going under the knife and being asleep is, is not necessarily the most comforting feeling. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've, knock on wood, I haven't really been in a position where I, like, need to get surgery, but my dad's yeah. gonna get surgery here in, like, a few weeks, and I know that he's done his research on, like, what what hospital to go to, like, he completely trusts his surgeon, like, I feel that like that's sense. really important. Yeah, that 100%. I would definitely, the, the people that I have around me now, I feel, because the doctor that did it when I was 14, I didn't know. It was a recommendation, right. like, there wasn't, he was supposed to be a specialist but you know after the surgery because we were like well it didn't work so what do we do next he never returned our calls so, oh wow wow yeah but you know it is okay i obviously like i'm i'm here i'm still alive i'm still yeah. walking and it's better that like it nothing happened rather than like it made it worse uh yeah i i would say that so you mentioned knee surgery or knee scope. So uh, tell me more about like what happened with your knee. Um, when I my freshman year in college, my career ending, I don't want to say ending, but <laughs> biggest issue that I had with my college career was my knee injury. I got injured about three weeks into my freshman season. I was playing two sports. I was playing softball and basketball. So... I was scrimmaging with the basketball team and I'm a very competitive person. So I, I, and I was also like the third tallest on the team, but they had me at point guard because I was a shooting guard. So <laughs> when the post player is scoring all the baskets for the other team and nobody and everybody's just letting her do that, what am I going to do? I'm going to guard her because I'm getting mad. <laughs> <laughs> So here I am, you know, five nine, hundred and probably at that time I was probably like 185 pounds, 180 pounds or so, going up against a six two, like 260 pound post player. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I'm not a punk. I can do this. So I'm. She went baseline on me, did that drop step power dribble, and I just hear my knee crack, like. Uh -oh. And I fell, she fell on top of me, I couldn't get back up, couldn't walk, uh, thought something was tore, long story short, didn't tear anything, but the doctor said that it would have been better if I would have torn it. So from 18 years old, I my knee would catch, and like I couldn't straighten it. Um, so I fought with that, I had to come out from behind the plate and be a third baseman, because um, I just couldn't crouch down and get back up without my knee locking. And it yes. was really terrible. So then finally, fast forward, I think it was December of 2020. I had, right before the shutdown happened, I had my knee scope because they found out there was a huge, like, nine millimeter loose body in my knee just floating around. Oh, yeah, the doctors, I have a picture of it, and I was like, oh my god, it looks like a pebble from the river. Like, it was that big. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, that's why I finally decided to do it, because I was just getting, it was getting unmanageable. 
And the doctor just told me, like, I'd probably been able to manage it for so long. But then I just got to the point where I couldn't manage it anymore. So. So you didn't have it looked at right away? Oh, no. I'm, I absolutely not. Because I have... I wouldn't have been, I was scared. You think knee surgery, you think that's, you know, back then I'm like knee surgery, I'm done for. I know that when I was at Tulsa, we really stressed like training knees to like be okay. And I like, do you feel like you, do you work with like athlete, young athletes with preventing knee injuries also? So ever since getting back into the, the sports world, Um, especially going through my PT because I really, I've been through PT a lot of my life. (laughs) PT is no, I'm no stranger to PT. Um, but this is the first time that I've had a a physical therapist that was also a college athlete that, um, understands and was teaching me functional ways. Um, like I always ask her, like, I all ask her just questions. She's teaching me functional ways to work with these kids to start at a young age preventing what I'm dealing with now. So I take everything that I've learned through my injuries and the things that I deal with, because I'm not the only catcher in the world. Yeah. I guarantee you I'm not the only 30 plus year old catcher that is dealing with back issues and knee issues. I'll tell you that either. (laughs) I would agree with that. Most likely. So what I'm trying to do um, is, as we're working out, you know, I'm trying to educate them on what I'm learning that I learned late in life because did I have a trainer that was super like worried about my functionality as I worked out? No, my coaches wanted me to lift heavier, run faster, jump higher. They didn't care how I did it. That's what they wanted me to do. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of training styles and like the beliefs and science on it has really changed a lot, even like year by year. Like I, I really feel like they didn't start doing knee prevention stuff. At least I don't, I, this is my, what I, my impression is, is until my freshman year, when I came in, like we started working on, or maybe it was sophomore year working on like making sure those knee injuries don't happen. And I don't know that a lot of programs even do that. I just know that, we were having an issue with a lot of knee injuries throughout our whole program, like the whole athletic program at Tulsa. And um, when we started working on the knee stuff, it's like, wow, we're having less injuries. Like, I feel like that should be more known. Well, and it's, it is, it's a classic case of the more, you know, Yeah. when you don't have um, like, that's a big thing I've talked to. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to coach Rogers about, like with Destin about it's so important for me to educate these girls on yes do you want to be stronger but you want to be stronger in the right way because we push our bodies because we can as youth as younger you know younger individuals we can push our bodies so much more because we like you know we are like little mini wolverines a lot of the time because our body can handle so much more Well, when the metabolism starts to slow down, when you haven't used certain muscles for years and now it's caused you to have weak hips or um, weak glutes, which is what I'm dealing with. I have, apparently I have 
you know, really weak hips, really weak glutes and really weak ankles. And if you look at my big ankles, you'd be like, no way those are weak, but they're <laughs> like, you know, I, these are things that I was just never told. And so now my main focus when I work out is I'm trying to strengthen all these things that I've weakened because my more dominant muscles took over when I was younger. Right. And speaking of, you know, teaching young athletes, things that you've learned the hard way. Um, yeah. So you're a survivor. So how did you get to that point in your life, that really hard point in your life, survive it? And what advice do you have for people that may feel the way that you felt? Um, you know, I think that when you go through your life as an athlete and that's your, that's your life, And especially one where I never really dealt with injury. Like, even after back surgery when I was younger, like, I popped right back. Like, I missed two weeks of life, and then I was back to it. Yeah, two weeks. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So, that's not a big deal. That's like somebody sprains an ankle, you know, whatever. It's fine. But when I had the injury that basically lost me my Division One looks because... When you're being recruited as a catcher and you can no longer catch anymore, Division Ones are like, hey, I've got hundreds of other girls I can pick from. So um, it takes a really hard toll on your mental because you go from being somebody to now being a nobody. Well, in my mind, that's kind of where I went. I was also yeah, 18. Yeah, we were talking about placing your worth on your sport. Yes. Yeah. So, and that was, I didn't handle it very well. And so... I think that what I didn't have, and it was partially my fault, and this is years of therapy is why I can say this, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of athletes are taught to be tough, you know, they're taught to be tough. When you see somebody get upset, you know, you, you're supposed to just take that and keep going. Well, yeah, in your sport, when you're playing 100%, but off the field you know I think I because it's I mean it's also how I kind of grew up anyway but you know I wasn't as open about my feelings I didn't want to tell people that I was hurting or that I was struggling mentally like I was slipping into a depression because I'm like you know who am I I'm like questioning my whole existence at this point so my advice and one thing because I saw on you know on your guys's Facebook that you guys are starting, you know, that, at that mentorship program. Yeah. And I'm like, God, uh, like, I don't know if anybody, I mean, I'm sure people mentor like when they're coaching and stuff like that, like 100%, but just having somebody even just talk to you. Cause sometimes like, yeah, you want to be able to talk to your coach, but sometimes you need just somebody that can relate with you to yeah. listen to you. Because I didn't have that. I, I, I mean, I really didn't. I didn't feel comfortable talking to anybody about it because I was such a, let me just keep these inside. I can deal with it. I can deal with it. Yeah. You know, I think the advice is take advantage of the people that you can talk to. Exactly. Because you need to talk. You need to talk about it. You are 100% not the only athlete that feels like this or has been through this. 100%. And you like, that is my biggest piece of advice because even if you're like, you know, I'm, you can be the toughest, coldest player in the world. I bet you Serena Williams uh, has struggled with her mental. I guarantee you she has. And she's one of the top athletes in the world. 
I think I heard something about Venus Williams um, paying for a bunch of athletes to get free sessions for from better help. I think I see that all over TikTok. Like, I really do. And I think that that is, I love that, you know, if there's one thing that the shutdown has kind of showed the world was mental health and the things that we try to cope with, with other things, which I'm guilty of it, 100%, super guilty. Um, But the things that we usually cope with or run away from that we had to deal with, like they cause real problems. Like they cause real life problems. Yeah. And it's not something that you can just brush under because I guarantee you it's going to come back. Even if you try to, even if you try to like bottle it up, push it down. Oh, it's okay. Talking about it and finding some sort of outlet to talk is 100% what needs to be happening. And I love that more athletes are talking about it, honestly. Yeah. And I wanted to put together this mentorship program um, because, you know, you have your coach, you have, you know, um, I was lucky enough to have my parents, um, but I feel like it would be really cool to have someone that's like a friend to you and you don't have to sign up for like to have like a counselor or like whatever um like it's it doesn't have to be like something like official it's just something someone that's actually genuinely just there for you just because yeah it it makes a huge difference I mean for me and while I could have probably had my parents I think that in my mind because of the emphasis put on my sport and my and my being you know able to play and things like that. Like I couldn't bring it to my mom because I thought she would, I don't know. I didn't know what I thought. Yeah. Everyone's I was probably a hundred percent wrong, but probably, but everyone's different about like how they feel about approaching their parents or, you know, maybe a sibling or like someone like, luckily I felt I've, my parents were my best friends and I was able to call that. I, when I was at Oregon, I had a moment where I was like, wow, I am completely worthless because I wasn't able to throw behind the net today. I literally had that thought. Um, And so luckily I was able to like call my mom and my mom was like, are you kidding me? Like she had to sit there and list reasons why I'm worthy, which I'm really lucky to have that. And um, I just really wanted the mentorship program just to like have for young athletes to have that person there that like you can talk to as a friend that's been in your shoes to like have that reassurance that like you will be okay. Like you are not by yourself. You are not the only one that's ever felt like this. I 100% like just letting athletes know that they're not by themselves. Like when I saw that, I was like, well, I definitely, I was like, after I talked to her, I was like, I definitely want to be on that list. If, yeah, that's like what I try to connect with my kids. Like when I see them getting frustrated or I see them coming down on themselves or I see them like kind of in their head. I'm just like, man, I get it. I was an emotional player and I and I highly, highly, highly criticize myself, even for the, you know, what might be looked at as the dumbest things. Yeah. So I'm always trying to let them know, like, hey, it is OK to feel the way that you feel. Okay. Exactly. For somebody telling you that, no, you, you can't feel like this. You can't do this. No, 
you absolutely can feel it, but we have to now figure out a way to not be stuck in it and to just work through it. Cause you're allowed to feel the way that you feel like yeah. you're allowed to. Exactly. And for anyone listening, if you want Tori as a, as a mentor or someone like Tori, please apply. Like we want to help you. We want to be there for you, but keep in mind that we are not medical professionals. So if you are at a more serious point, please reach out to a professional. Yeah. Or let's even take it a step further and get some, you know what, let's get some licensed professionals that we can directly, that would be totally willing to be part of the cause and run with that. Yeah. That's another one of our goals to get to that point. We do have some affiliates. We do have some affiliates that we refer to right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Our goals are to have them on board eventually to financially be able to, to do that. Um, But right now we have a few sport mental performance coaches. They're really good. They, um, they did clinical psychology work. um, So check them out. um, If you want someone through us, Um, I know that like, I'm kind of new to that um, industry, like that, that area and like the medical and like mental health. So I don't know if it's different per state um i do know there's like apps like better help or like things like that just definitely look into that i think that everybody whether you're an athlete or not i think that everybody in this world would benefit from therapy because yeah i i definitely yeah. wouldn't saw a counselor since i was like a freshman in high school all throughout college like there's nothing wrong with it yeah, I waited till later in life after I had already like <laughs> tried to deal with it on my own. Um, and I swear by it. I'm definitely a mental health advocate. Um, I know that people, you know, like old school people, you know, the whole deal with um, Simone Biles and she yeah. didn't compete because of her mental health. And as much as I probably would have still pushed through it, through it and done I appreciate her for putting her mental health first because, again, when she's done, now she's an Olympic, like, she's going to be remembered forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she could probably run clinics and camps for the rest of her life and be happy. But when you're not competing, like, when you're no longer able to compete, you do lose some of that of your self-worth. <laughs> I would absolutely be beside myself if I could still be competing. Like, yeah. 100%. Yeah, and I completely related with Simone Biles because I forgot what term she used for, like, the gymnastics version of it, but I think of it as yips. And I definitely struggle with yips, and I know that, like, if my life depended on me throwing an overhand throw, like, I would not do it. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That I mean, if you play a sport, and this is majority of sports, in my opinion, it's 85% mental and like 15% physical. Exactly. So when you take that big of a percentage and you're not taking care of your mental outside of it, that's a, I think that's a big, that's an issue. I think that's a big problem. I agree. So with um, your injury and everything, you ended up transferring and you went to multiple colleges actually. So what was your journey like going to multiple colleges? Um, well, my ADHD diagnosed self loved it because it was different environments and because that was how I coped with things was always changing my environment. 
I always wanted something new. I always wanted new people. I didn't want to be, you know what I mean? Like, because when you're new, it's, you know, it's like a new, it's exciting. It's, you feel like people are trying to get to know you. People are learning about, you know what I mean? Right. And so that was actually one of the ways that I coped with what I was struggling with. Um, I will say that when I look back on it, um, I wasted a lot of time. Like I wasted a lot of money. I went to college and I just to be completely transparent, I went to college to play sports. I did not go to college for college. Right. Um, You're not the only one. Yeah. I <laughs> um, College, you know, that's why one of the reasons why I'm an entrepreneur, because I am I don't want to be doing the same thing every day. I'm really, truly, truly blessed to be in the position that I'm in right now. Um, I don't know how the heck I got here. But I'm really thankful for the people whose paths I've crossed and that have put me in some of the positions that I'm in now. Um, but college isn't for everybody. I respect anyone that goes and gets their degree. Um, four years and takes you five. Like, the, you know, my brother, yeah. my younger brother got his college degree before I did. And I'm six years older than he is. So, <laughs> um, you know, like that's it's not for everybody. And people shouldn't be like look down on because you know it's it, it wasn't for them you know as an athlete you're thinking oh, I got four years I gotta you know because you do especially as a female athlete um you do have to make sure you keep up with your schoolwork or sports become a no no go because coaches will not hesitate to <laughs> put you on probation or not let you play because of that so right yeah you uh, unfortunately you have to like be at a certain point in your specific major in order to be eligible, at least in NCAA. So mm-hmm. that can make it really easy to choose just like a random degree and totally get like going to school for your sport. I kind of did that in a way. Um, like I had in mind that I needed to like be, be prepared for a career after, mm-hmm. but I like never really like knew what the career was so I just kind of was like you know I'm for now I'm just gonna focus on my sport and yeah totally get that I I my degree is in management like I don't know that's not specific enough to like get me an actual job you know I I I do like I my mom tells me all the time my mom is very much the um go to school get the degree make the money type of person and of course I being the black sheep of my family um, like to do the unconventional ways. And so it drives her nuts that I won't go back to school. But I'm you just know, not that. I would rather be doing something that truly, truly makes me happy yes. than making sitting out what I what I like to make six figures. Absolutely. I'd like to make more than that. But I really, really enjoy what I'm doing right now. And so I, you know, it doesn't my mom at it finally stops harping on me about it at 33 years old. Um, so with that, you are a strength trainer and um, you're starting with the Kansas city Royals tomorrow. So how did you get into that? And at, at this day in recording, it's tomorrow. It's probably in the past when this comes out, but yeah. What, what do you, what are you doing? And like, how did you get into that? Uh, Coach Rogers with deaths and performance. I mean, it's solely this journey back to like, this place for me was through Jason Rogers and Destin performance. Um, He, um, 
you know, tailgate conversation because we were both athletes. Uh, we literally just started talking and because obviously like when you played, you know, you just, you have a lot in common with other athletes that used to play because you get it. Everybody's, you know, everybody feels the similar feelings when it's over. And, you know, some people played because they had to, some people played because they're truly passionate. I think most people that play through college, you know, you got to be some sort of passionate about it. So just through talking, um, you know, he had mentioned me coming and coaching with him uh because they destined performance offers like you know the intro into strength where we do a lot of the strength training and then um we do speed and agility and then we offer you know individual lessons like for all different kinds of sports not just you know not just softball but he got me in contact with the Kansas well so it's the Urban Youth Academy um and it's Kansas City Royals that that's um it's their Urban Youth Academy I think the Major League Baseball uh Major League Baseball has different academies all over the United States um so we got in there and we did a workout through distant performance and then we just started talking about me coming on to coach and I had an interview with them and they um Cause we're trying to keep that relationship obviously um, with Destin and the Royals, because that's a great, yeah, um, that's a great contact to have. It's a great facility. It's great what they're doing because all of the urban youth academies um, services are free. All the kids have to do is sign up online. Oh yeah. Um, so it's fantastic what they can do with that Academy. Um, Destin is kind of out. We're trying, obviously like we want Destin to, be everywhere (laughs) but right now their main facility is in grain valley so that's a good 40 minutes you know away from where like the urban youth academy is so some of the kids that can't come out to to grain valley you know they um will go down to the academy and so that way we're able to hit you know we're obviously wanting to to work with as many athletes as we can you know, just kind of yeah. spread. Jason gets so excited. You can just tell that he's has a real passion for what he does. Like, yeah, he, you can just really tell that through talking with him. And I think that energy is like really infectious. And his wife, Natalie, she's used to play softball. And so she'll run some of the workouts. She'll be there. It's just a lot of people that are wanting to give like pour back into these athletes. And, and I just love, I love, being around it like it's just really cool to be in an environment where I'm able to kind of pour my knowledge into kids that are wanting to get better and become elite athletes yes that sounds like a really full circle moment so congrats oh God. Job. I cried <laughs> I was like so emotional <laughs> like when I got the email saying that you know everything passed and the, you know the royals were welcoming me and just also, just the recognition. I mean, it's going to sound, I don't want to say it's going to sound dumb, but like, I don't know. Just I, if you would have asked me, I put a status up on, even on Facebook, like last week. If you would have asked me a year ago, like a year ago, if I thought I was going to be in this position, I would have told you no. <laughs> like, there, it wasn't even on my radar. Right. But you just never know. You, I, you just don't. And the fact that I'm sitting in here and I own my own business and I'm able now to work with, like, I'm back around my sport 
and I'm back. Like even other sports, like, you know, we have a volleyball team that comes in and works with us. I love that. Um, you know, cause I mean, I, I play the only sport I really don't know anything about is soccer, unfortunately, yeah. but you know, the other ones I'm, I'm pretty good at, I would say I would, I know I have a little knowledge, but it is full circle. And like, I had my coach that, um, probably the best coach I've ever had in my life. Well, there's two of them, Jason Moss and Sarah Halster. Um, they probably the best coaches that I ever had. They, um, tore, I'm going to say tore me down. Cause they really did. They ripped me down mentally and then built me back up and turned me into probably the best player that I could have ever been. And it's because of them that I have the confidence that I have because not only were they like, they put so much faith in me and they had so much confidence in me, but they, they held me accountable. Like I worked hard. Like we always worked hard. Like I respected them, but they're also some of the coolest people you know, it wasn't like it was a coach that, that, no, I was scared. You know, when Jason would get mad, I'd be scared, but you know, I mean, it's like a respect thing. It's a coach, it's a coach, you know, athlete relationship. And, you know, Sarah commented on my, uh, on my post and like, I don't know what it was. It was just kind of just cool because I'm like, I told her, I was like, I literally take everything that you guys have given me. And I, that's how I coach. Because it meant so much to me that I just, that's, that's what I want to be for. That's what I want to be for the athletes that I work with is how, what they were to me. And that's how much an impact that coaches have on their athletes. And that's why it's important to, you know, give that much passion into your coaching when you're working with athletes like that. And so, yeah, thank you for what you do, because that's, you're making a difference in people's lives, just like they made a difference in your life. Yeah. And that's, that's very rewarding for me. Like I am the type of person, like I do need to feel purpose. That's Mm -hmm. something that I struggled with. It's like, if I'm not good at something, like if I'm not getting positive reinforcement, um, like, I don't feel like I'm doing what I need to be doing. I'm with you. (laughs) Um, so when I'm coaching, you know, yes. Is there verbal positive reinforcement? There is. I mean, you can, you know, people compliment you. People say, you know what I mean? People can, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But the biggest positive reinforcement is that relationship that I develop with the athletes. Like seeing them when I'm, tra- when I'm coaching them on something and seeing them like finally get it, you know, yeah. like it clicks for them or whatever. Yeah. Like it's just super, super rewarding. And like the other day, um, coach Rogers, uh, so his girls, couple of his girls always go down to the workouts at the academy on Thursdays and they're girls that we've been working with, you know, all summer. Um, and even just, he told me, he was like, you know what they told me? And I was like, what? They said, they feel so much more comfortable with you there. Um, wow. Which meant a lot to me because yeah. I get it. Like when I'm in a new environment and I have a coach that I recognize you know what I mean I know how that I know how that feels to be comfortable like have a coach that you know believes in you there yeah like that to me like it's just yeah it's just it means a lot so I it's a very rewarding environment for me and um I don't plan on you know I'm a very move aroundy type of person I like different but I was like if I could do this for the rest of my life and be working with the I mean I'd be happy I'd be a very happy camper. <laughs> that is wonderful. Um, so 
we talked a little bit about the transition now you mentioned it a little bit in this last question but what was the transition out of playing competitive sports like for you and what did you do in your newfound free time oh god made a lot of bad choices (laughs) (laughs) um my transition was not good because I held on to it for it was a it was I felt like a failure for such a long time because I didn't do what I originally set out to do and my vice was drinking um so I kind of especially getting into the you know becoming a bartender uh which I was a bartender for 12 years because hey I was good at it and I got recognized for it and people liked me because I was a good bartender so obviously this is should be my new setting right because I'm getting the recognition that I need to function um but that that is where I wish I wouldn't have made some of the choices that I made. Uh, you know, I was, I mean, I was drinking like six to seven nights a week probably because I was working so much, but I was also making a ton of money. And when you know, you're going to, when you know, you're going to make more money the next day, like you spend more. Right. Right. If I could have taken some of the money that I made bartending (laughs) and actually done something smart with it, Ooh, I wouldn't have any debt probably, (laughs) but you know, I, that is why I think it's so important. Like, you know, when I saw originally what you guys were talking about, you know, when you were once an athlete, I was like, God, you know, if I would have had an outlet to be able to talk with some people that have been through what I'm going through now or what I, what I was going through back then, I think it would have made my transition way easier. Um, or I would have been able to cope with it in a more, in a healthier way mm-hmm. than what I did. Cause my transition was not, um, I didn't know what to do with myself. If I wasn't working, I was probably out doing something, drinking or partying or I don't know, finding reasons to have lunch or go get coffee. Like who, who knows? I just wanted constantly to be, staying busy. Yeah. yeah. I had to be, because I'm so used to my whole life was always scheduled for me. Because I had AM practice, I had school, I had afternoon practice. And then after that afternoon practice at the school, then I would have outside sports practice. And then after that, I would probably have a dance class. So I was always bam, 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 bam all the time. And then as soon as that stops, you know, school stops and sports stop, I'm like, what am I going to do with myself? I'm so used to being busy. So I would have like three and four jobs at a time. So I'd have a job where I worked three nights here and then I'd have a job where I'd work two brunch shifts there. And then, you know, and so people are like, how do you keep those straight? And I'm like, well, I know on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, I'm here Thursday, Friday, I'm here Saturday. You know, like I always knew where I was going to go. Cause it was just like having multiple practices. Like I had, yeah, to I feel like that's like the hardest thing is going from like being busy all the time to like, not it's it not. And my husband, it drives him insane. He's like, you always have to be busy. And I'm like, I, you're right. I do. Because it's my, it's what I do. <laughs> exactly. So, so what aspect out of the transition out of sports was like, would you say was the hardest? And what advice can you give to athletes on what you learned from that? Um, I mean, the hardest is the realization that it's over with. You know, and some athletes are lucky enough to be able to stay around their sports. Other athletes, like I know people that 
when they graduated, they struggled with it being over, but, and then they haven't been back around the sport since. And, you know, we're all 33 and up the ones that I know, you yeah. know, and I think the hardest part is that realization and it is like time management. Now, yes, if you, if you graduate or you get done playing and you have a job and you have a nine to five, um, that, that, um, kind of makes it a little bit easier because you still have something that you're required to be at. <laughs> yeah. Um, and nine to fives are nine to fives. Like you realize you're around your work people way more than you're around like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So that, that be, that becomes your team. You know, yeah. I think, I think that, um, for those that maybe don't and go, you know, like my route is unconventional, right? I am the entrepreneur. I'm the hustler. I'm the, you know, I got to figure out what to do with my time. If I wanted to sit in bed all day, I could. Um, or I'm going to keep myself busy. I think the best piece of advice that I can give any athletes that are going through the transition or getting ready to go through that transition is don't cold turkey it just like anything. Don't cold turkey it. There are so many opportunities to be around or help or, you know what I mean? Just don't, don't cut yourself off from it like that because that I think is when you start to struggle the most with it because they tell you, I mean, they tell you even when you're, you know, doing illegal things, they tell you not to cold turkey it because it's not good for your system. Well, why don't they say that with, with anything else? Yeah. And that's why I wanted to create this whole foundation is like you said, like this has never existed. This is a whole new thing. Like I, I created this because I never saw anything that that really helped had like resources for people coming out of sports like it's it's a big problem and it's something that people don't really talk about. Yeah. Which is I mean again because when I saw it I saw they Destin had um Destin had put it on their page and obviously I followed their page. So when I saw it I was like Oh my God. And then I looked it up and seeing like, you know, what the purpose, I was like, this is great. I honestly think that this should blow up and it should be nationwide because having in different areas, having that accessibility for athletes, like just being, even just having the resources if they need it. Yeah. Um, Like, I just think it's so important. Like I, love everything about it because I the instant I read about it I was like oh my god I can't I totally wish I had that yeah like I totally wish I had a something that I could just I don't know relate with talk to like just vent yeah at least you haven't gone through what I've gone through you don't know what I'm going through you know so exactly um so last thing what was your one of your favorite moments while competing oh god I have so many competing in general I just love it (laughs) but um I would say probably competing would be when I played for the Kansas City White Sox which is who um the when I talk about Jason Moss and Sarah Hollister um those were the coaches for the Kansas City White Sox the second year that I played for them we were like top 25 teams in the nation um Probably my favorite time competing was when we 
played in the ASA Hall of Fame tournament in Oklahoma City. And we were the, now I don't know if we're the only team after that, because, you know, that's been a while ago, but we were the first Midwest team to ever make it to the championship game. And that was something that I will remember forever because we played some, man, some killer competition. And I mean, I'm definitely like, you got to play the best. to If you want to be the best, you got to play the best, right? I don't want an easy tournament. I don't want an easy win. Like, I want to play the best because when I'm talking about, when I'm, I want, I want my stuff to be backed up (laughs) with my competition. Is this your club softball team? Yeah, it was the Kansas City White Sox were my club softball team. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I that was probably one of the coolest weekends. Just the team that I played on, we were just – that year of softball was – we were just so in sync, and we were playing some really, really good softball. And that weekend, we played some tough competition from Texas um, and California. You know, these teams that can practice outside all year round. Yeah. Um, and play tournaments all year round. Yeah. And um, it, it's it's like really prestigious to to be at the ASA Hall of Fame Stadium. So it's going to be really I played in that. I don't know if it's that exact tournament, but I played there and it's always really tough competition because people want to win on the field. They want. Yeah. And we got to I mean, now did we win the tournament? No, we got second. But um, which is fine. We. I literally played, we played a team, I can't remember their name, but I was calling pitches everywhere, and they were just hammering. I was like, I don't know who your hitting coach is, but I want to talk to him. Like, that's, he was, I mean, they were fantastic, but playing on that field, and just because as a kid, you know, as a, as a teen, you're like, man, this is where I want to be. Like, this right. is the field I want to play on. The Olympic, you know what I mean? The USA yeah. team plays here. Like, all the elites play here. Like, it's just a sense of like, I don't know. You walk onto that field and you're like, yeah, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I played on that field and I know what you're talking about. Like it's, it's fun to play on that field. Yeah, it's it is, and you just I don't know. Like it's your first kind of taste of what college, like what you think college is going to be like. You know, when you think that you're, because I mean, I've played at. We went to nationals and we got to play on the Texas. It was, it was a Texas Tech, the Texas Tech field, and they have the coolest softball stadium. Like they've really put some money into their program. They have a really beautiful stadium. Their locker rooms are like just like the guys' locker rooms. Like they're super souped up, and it's like when you see things like that, like that's what you think of when you think yeah. of like you know Division One. Yeah. Softball. Like you just think of all that stuff. And when you get to play on that ASA field, you're just like, man, this is what I have to look forward to. Like stuff like this. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Rose Metal Foundation. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it and leave a review. It really helps us by spreading the word. Sign up for our newsletter and get weekly updates from us. Another way you can support us is by making a donation at www.rosemetalfoundation.org forward slash donate. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are eligible to be tax deductible. So far, we have shared the stories of 42 current and former athletes, and we have a mentorship program called Championship Mentoring.